Max Sumkin. And I'm Patrick Lubbock. And this is episode 15 of Rewatch Podcast. This week we're watching episode 15 of Lost uh, Outlaws. Uh, no guest this week. The only guest is the love between the two hosts, Max and Patrick. It is. And uh, and the love for a really good episode of Lost. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I th- If you remember from the uh, end of last week's episode, I was very... Uh, 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 what's the bad one? Bearish or bullish? Bearish. Bearish, I think. Bearish. Bullish is Bear- you're excited. Yeah, bearish on this, ec- on this episode. I was not looking forward to it. What a great episode. Oh, it's, it, it actually turns out to be one of my favorite episodes Me of Lost. Me too. It I has think. so many of my favorite scenes of season one. And like off-island, on-island, like some of the best <clears throat> stuff in... It, it's some of the best character... It's some of the best character moments in... In the whole series, this one snuck up on me. Yep. I, I just loved it. I will. I, I always forget that this little kind of character gem is like almost hidden in uh, in the middle of season one in the slow part here. What uh, What's new this week, Patrick? Um, not much. It's Let's talk about. S- you want to talk about Bit Bash? Bit Bash. Yeah, we, we went to Itty Bitty. Itty Bitty Bat Bash? Is that what it was? Itty, itty Bitty Bash. Itty Bitty Bash, yeah. uh, which is... Uh, so Bit Bash was a thing that happened over the summer. It's basically a lot of the game developers uh, and just games people in general got together and put together... Trying try to get a community going out here in Chicago. Trying to get a, a reason for people that are interested in games to get together and play games together. You know, certainly like the local co-op movement has happened in the last couple of years in games, but not everyone has the means to play those, like people to play them with. And so Bitbash, and it kind of celebrates, you know, Chicago gaming culture, reminding people that exists and helping that exist, and then also giving people a chance to play, like, really kick-ass local multiplayer games with people on big projector screens. Did you get a chance to play uh, any of the games last night? I didn't play a lot of the games. Half, well, half of them are available, like, sort of on Steam, and I've mm-hmm. played them before, and I do have people that I can play with, and I work in an office where I can play them with. So, like, the, part, of the, part of the appeal was lost on me, but uh, the thing I was most interested in was that this game, Afterglow, which is the game I I pointed out to you when I briefly saw you at the party. That thing is so cool. So I'm not sure if people are familiar with uh, this guy. I unfortunately don't know his name. I have his. He didn't give me a card. He gave me a printout from his game that had his email address on it. <laughs> uh, so I have to email him later. But anyway, he made this game called the Choosatron, uh, which was shown at uh, at GDC last year. It was at Bitbash. If you uh, happen to to be there uh, last summer, but the Choosatron is a choose your own adventure game. But it's physical, so it spits out through ticker tape, and so the questions about where you can go next come up, and then you press buttons uh, on the Choosatron that allow you to, to pick, like, oh, you're going to go left, you're going to go right, or whatever the, the case may be. And then once you've picked that answer, the ticker tape prints that out, and then at the end, when you inevitably die, because uh, I died, I'm sure there's probably a way to win, but whatever the case, however your story ends, you rip off the ticker tape, and you have your whole story. It's like this... I've played a million Choose Your Adventure games. There's actually nothing that special about the stories being told in the Choosatron, but it's the physical act of having that little story that is really interesting. And so his new game that was being play-tested for the first time in the public at uh, Itty Bitty Bash was uh, the, the Afterglow, which you it's this briefcase that opens up, and you look into this little view monitor. Like a periscope almost. Kind of like a periscope, and it's got uh, sort of like this circular... Uh, a circle that's got lights all around it, and to the right is it all. It all you need to say this all folds out of the briefcase. It does. Like it's a normal-looking leather business briefcase that you can carry around. It. Yeah, and then you set it on a table and you open it up, and this like crazy periscope flips up and comes out of the briefcase, and there's all these like lights and. A well, on the left is a big there. red button. Yeah, it's like an ominous. Uh, it's and then on the right is uh, a rotary phone dial, <laughs> yeah. and so. <laughs> So it actually ends up being, you know, it looks really mysterious, but when you get into it, it's actually just, it's kind of like Space Invaders. Like you are, are fighting aliens, uh, and then when you dial one 
on the rotary phone, it uh, sends sort of a, a scan out, and then on the viewfinder, the periscope, you briefly see where the aliens are, and that corresponds to, like, a 7 on the phone. And so, basically, like, you're, you're trying to figure out on the rotary phone where to fire your lasers. And uh, you have, the big red button is a bomb that you can kind of set off if you're kind of screwing up your shots. But it's just... there. The design of it, like if you think of it in like game design terms, is incredibly simple, but it's the tactile physical nature of it that makes it so utterly compelling and fun. And I found myself going back to it two or three different times uh, at the end of the night. So Jerry Belich. Is Jerry Belich? Yeah, very talented individual uh, that makes a lot of really interesting stuff that almost nobody will get a chance to play because yeah, it's he is, physical it, in nature. It's, it's an interesting – I really respect uh, the stuff that he's making, and I think he's, he's doing a really good job with it because I often is see – Is he local? Is he Chicago? He's Minneapolis, okay, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so Midwest. Uh, I, I – I often see people who are uh, great hardware hackers so they can build these crazy contraptions, but they're not really like – they're just like not fun to play. Like if there's a game, the game kind of stinks or it's just not fun to engage with. But um, I think he's coming at it as a game designer first, making these crazy uh, experiences, and the hardware all supports that. So you wind up with this really like cohesive – Tactile, fun experience for both the Choosatron and the uh, the new thing. Yeah, it's like it's after, a, it, Afterglow. Afterglow. Yeah, right. like it's it's a good game. It's really simple, Super but fun. it's it like all of the elements that play with the physical nature of it <clears throat> enhance the very simple game rules in a way that just is is really unlike anything else I've ever played. And uh, did you uh, you know it reminded me a little bit of Robin Arnott's um, Deep Sea. Deep Sea. Yeah, yeah which remains remains one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever had with me too. A, video game or whatever you want to call it. Deep Sea is, uh, I wrote about it for Giant Bomb uh, a couple of years back uh, because it was being uh, exhibited in Oakland uh, at a little uh, little video game thing that I managed to swing by. So Deep Sea, you put on like an actual gas mask, and the gas mask has been uh, modified to have uh, both a microphone uh, that is right near your mouth and uh, speakers that are right up on your ears. And so it's meant to be very claustrophobic. It's meant to be uncomfortable. And Deep Sea is essentially your... I guess in a sub, I think narratively, you're in a submarine. Mm-hmm. You uh, encounter some sort of creature mm-hmm. in the dark, um, and the creature will hone in on you and well, attack you based on it's, your it's breathing sensory, It's sensory deprivation. Yes. So the first thing is like it's yeah, pitch you can't black see darkness, anything. and it's sound, these like I think sound canceling or just or just really good headphones, so you yeah. can't really hear outside of them. And then uh, it's this. Inc- I mean, Robin's a sound designer by trade, so it's this incredible like what's underwater. The, what's, this, what's this thing that he's been perpetually working on for oh, like three self. years now? Sound self, self, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's uh, uh, so it's this incredible like underwater soundscape, and just from the minute you put this contraption on, like I mean, you are. I mean, really different than any other game I've ever played. You are just instantly transported into this very claustrophobic, like old submarine. And you're uncomfortable. Submarine. Like you are actually physically uncomfortable. Yeah. It is. It is tight. It is constrictive. It is. I know. I think in many ways, not meant to be finished. It is meant to like just how far, how long can you survive? Yeah. And and so you, the, the more you breathe, because you have trouble breathing in the mask, like it is literally constrictive for for your breathing habits. Uh, the more heavier you breathe, the more the microphone picks up your breathing. The more the microphone picks up your breathing, the more the monster picks up on where you're at. And so the game encourages you to like hold your breath, so you can figure out where the noise. And it also amplifies your. Uh, your breath so that when you breathe heavy it funnels back into your headphones which means you can't hear them it's just it's unlike anything else it's also a game that no one will play Yeah. Um, although he did publish instructions online on how to build uh, your own mask Mm -hmm. Um, and you can download the build of the game so if you are handy with stuff uh, you can actually build Deep Sea and experience it yourself unlike some of this other stuff but really interesting stuff yeah Um, let's see I am uh, in in, uh, Max News this week 
I'm uh, making a zine, so if you uh, if you enjoy my blog, like a newsletter, like yeah, a, like a like email, a, is it going to my email? No, no, no it's a physical zine. What's a, who, the magazines are not doing very well. No, Max. it's never going to make any. It's going to lose a ton of money. Okay, or, great. Well, it's just going to be. It'll. I'll break even on it. But it's a really fun project. I've wanted to do this forever. Um, is this just your way of like you've wanted to do it, and now that people have paid money to do it, you actually have to put it out? Uh, yeah, that's that's like a good ninety percent <laughs> of it. And also, I mean, there's like real costs of just mailing this thing. Like, I can't uh, if I could if I could do it for free, I would. But right. I think it's uh, uh, I think it's like a pretty essential part of the experience that it's like a nicely printed thing, and you get it in the mail. Um, but it's a bit similar to my blog. It's just a, sort of a collection of stuff that I really like. So writing that I really like, stuff that I've written, um, just interesting things, and I'll compile it. I'll pick a theme every month and compile uh, a little zine about it, and I'll send it to your house for one year. Uh, by the time this is up, uh, the best place to find information about it and pick up a subscription is my website, uh, which is maxistentialism.com. And I'll put the uh, link to my website. Uh, I'll put the link to how to build your own deep sea rig, and I'll put the link to choose a Tron in the show notes. And the show notes for this episode and every episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. I started using Simplecast, which is what we use for... Uh, this podcast for uh, inventory management, which is sort of my catch-all podcast feed for the audio stuff I do now. And if you are interested in doing a podcast, uh, I cannot recommend Simplecast enough. It's 12 bucks, no bullshit. Uh, everything else I've looked into has weird tiers and bandwidth fees, and it's just a mess. And Simplecast, if you are interested in doing your own audio stuff, I literally cannot... I'm paying for it. I'm not getting it for free just because I know the guy. I'm paying my twelve dollars. And yeah, John, uh, the guy who makes it, works in our office. And, and it's um, it's it's really just could not be simpler. Great and uh, like analytics, like it's just it's awesome. We would have long abandoned this podcast if we didn't have Simplecast. If you had to use, so use like easier. SoundCloud, like yeah. I mean, uh, there is there are other solutions, but uh, yeah. for my money, I did, based what, on my research, it was wait, the what's best the po- one. I'm not subscribed to this. What's the? Po- I didn't even know this was already. It just existed. happened last week. Inventory oh. management is uh, basically like the audio versions of Three Beers Deep, which is like my cute weekly Q and A show. It'll be the future of my interviews and stuff that I do. Uh, I, I'm not doing like a regular gaming podcast, but if you're interested in audio versions of the stuff I do, uh, it's on iTunes and then at inventorymanagement.simplecast.fm. Uh, you can there's an RSS feed, so you can plug it into your weird Android phone if you're one of those weirdos, and subscribe to it on things that are not iTunes. What do you What are you using to listen to podcasts? Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I do. I don't do listen to game podcasts, but I listen to a lot of like politics and. News oh, and stuff like that. Um, uh, I used Overcast. Yeah, me too. Isn't Overcast great? It's Overcast is. Uh, I used the <clears throat> Apple Podcast app for a long time because I am cheap. Um, and, but the Apple Podcast app is terrible. Uh, the, uh, crashes the, constantly. It, it doesn't refresh. It's, it's a huge pain in the ass. Oh, I've I've reached a point in my life, and I've noticed myself doing this in the last year or so that I I am very cheap by nature. Like it is, I am. I will own up to that. Um, I'm really finicky about my money, but I have started paying like. Five bucks for Overcast or whatever it is. You can download for free, and then there's a bunch of features that you only get for uh, for paying. Like, I've started paying the five dollars for things that make my life a little bit easier. Oh, I, dude, I, I weird mean, life hump. But so Overcast specifically, it's like, a, it's like the amount of hours of of time saving and enjoyment that you get out of Overcast versus like the default podcast thing. That is like way more than a movie, and you pay like thirteen bucks to yeah. go see a movie. So Overcast actually literally saves you time because yeah. they have. I forget. Do, do you know what the feature is called? Smart Speed. Smart Speed, which basically analyzes like the pauses in podcasts and and things of that nature, and speeds past it. And so you put it on, and occasionally it'll goof up, and but only very briefly. Like the the way it does it in real time is very smart um, and reactive. Like occasionally it'll speed up something, and someone's voice will sound a little bit odd, but. 
by and large, you'll just listen to a podcast. It'll sound because I'm not one of those people that can put it on two x speed. And listen, just, if it, you're it, listening to our podcast at two x speed right now, you're an animal. <laughs> I hope it makes, that, I hope makes you're listening s- quickly enough that you don't hear me say that. But <laughs> don't listen to people have a conversation at two x speed. Like, what a weird. Just don't listen to podcasts if you don't have that kind of time. Well, some people like doing that, and, and it just it doesn't work for me. But Overcast a lot, it, like it, it smartly speeds it up as the feature, like you know, implies. <clears throat> and what I really love about it is that then if you go into the about section of the app, it lets you know how much time it saved yeah. you. And like I think I'm probably I could check, but I'm, I'm at over like 18 hours. Like that's yeah. I'm at nearly a full day of my life that that app has saved and me. Smart Speed, Mar- Marco Arment, who's the this app is made by one guy. He's one of my favorite developers. He's, uh, he was one of the original guys at Tumblr. He yep. uh, created Instapaper, which is also another fantastic app that I use on a daily basis for long form reading. Yeah, and he's also. Uh, have, are you listening to the Startup Podcast? The, no, you told me about it though. It's so good. It's um. Uh, oh, oh, we and we were on their like uh, their survey, but it's this. It's like Gimlet Media. It's Alex Bloomberg who's starting this new podcast company called uh, Gimlet Media, and basically he's making a podcast about the process of starting a podcast business. And it's super. I mean, he's just a, an amazing editor, amazing storyteller. So it's really fun to listen to this thing. And if you I, listen to uh, TLDR, which was the spinoff podcast of yep. On the Media, On the Media is also one of my favorite podcasts. It's absolutely one of the best ones uh, out there. It's kind of a news media analysis show. Uh, if you're kind of a a wonk in that in in that way, uh, and they spin off and TLDR is still going yep. under some some new folks. Um, but they basically made this new one called Reply All that is stories about the internet, and it's really fascinating. If you spend time on the internet, like I, I the way I've described it to people is often you'll see like a story on Reddit that is like it sounds like a fascinating story, but you want to know how did this happen. Yep. Reply All like <clears throat> actually contacts people, finds out how this happened. And goes like beyond like the Reddit headline. Yeah, that could, goes viral. Could not recommend uh, TLDR and start a podcast uh, more. And uh, the Marco has now is an investor in Gimlet Media, and he started ah. appearing on startup podcasts. That's really good, and it's really fun to hear him because uh, I, I mean, it's it's so interesting. Like he says the things on the podcast that I always am thinking as the listener of the podcast. Right. Like he is I, like. It's inter- I mean, I, I f- I've just been listening to Marco also, like, do his own podcast and write about the internet for so long. Like, I feel like I've I've learned so much of my own sensibility from listening to him. It's really fun to get to hear him on this thing, like, giving advice to uh, to those guys. As I, as I start to make my $5 on YouTube, I should probably start listening to this. and f- to, I mean, just learning how starting a business is yeah, it sounds it's really a, interesting. So. It's, a, it's a fantastic podcast. I really, uh, really recommend it. And uh, anyway, you can feel good about buying Overcast because that money is going to support Marco. And, and like I said, he's just a, he's a and you can try it for shop. free. And then once, yep. once you like the app, you can get like you know the super so, speed and stuff for I think five bucks. We probably should start talking about loss yeah. pretty soon. But I, I've got to ask, how is your so one of the the things the thing the killer feature for me of Overcast is this really smart playlist management. So you can make these like very intelligent dynamic playlists that kind of adjust to what's going on with your podcast situation. So for I example, haven't used, I haven't used the playlist feature at all. Interesting. All right. So let me. So here's what I've got going. I've got one playlist that is my. I call it my timeline. Okay. And the timeline is nearly every podcast I subscribe to mm-hmm. in reverse chronological order. So when I open it up, the the oldest one is on top, and the newest one's on the bottom. And if I like, you know, if I get in the car and I want to listen to a podcast, easy choice. I open up the timeline. I listen to the top thing. Done. And I work my way towards the bottom, and right. the new stuff appears there. But I've set timeline to like intelligently exclude a handful of podcasts that I are like the special ones to me, uh, and those go into a different podcast that I call Airplane. 
And that's when I need to take a flight or when I'm just trying to like mm. fall asleep or relax and, or, or just chill out. And all I want to do is put on headphones and listen to a podcast. There's a few that are like not background noise podcasts, but they're like 100% attention podcasts. Hmm. So for me, that's This American Life, yep. Radio Lab. And uh, my my beloved uh, classic Loveline podcast with Adam and Dr. Drew. <laughs> wow, that's great. They're they're yeah, it's this. Um, I used to watch that when it was on TV, and they they briefly had a show version. Yeah, that, on MTV, I remember yeah. that. But this was like f- straight from my childhood, and they're doing uh, some. Uh, it's this Loveline super fan. I think it's it's le- I think it's legit. No, it's definitely legit because Adam and Drew do little bits new. Segments. Yeah, oh, so that's the, great. When the radio show cuts to an ad, like goes to advertisements to the radio, they do podcast that's ads on awesome. it. Uh, yeah, so it's legit, and it's the Loveline archives, and it's like really well edited, and it's I'm so nostalgic for that show from mm-hmm. um, from when I, when I was a kid. So those are my three like airplane podcasts, and that goes in that one. And then I've got another one. I've got one more playlist, which is my food and cooking playlist, and that's where I've got my Splendid Table, my uh, Airwave Soul Bacon, my uh, America's Test Kitchen. And that's when I'm like cooking food is the only time I can listen to food podcasts because if I'm like on an airplane, you're just I'm gonna try- get hungry. Yep, and I'm trying to listen to a food <laughs> podcast, but all I can eat is like a <laughs> some eight dollar, you know, disgusting airline sandwich. That's a very sad situation to be. Listening I would probably to. make one for like politics. Like I listen to a lot of political podcasts, so I'd probably make one that would. Kind what are of your catch What are your political that. podcasts? Uh, is, this, the, is this good? Is this good? Is it? Do people like listening to this? Do you think this is why people? Listen I don't know. To our we'll, we'll we'll finish this and then we'll we'll move on. Okay. Um, so on the media, like it's like <clears throat> media analysis. Uh, I listen to the, the, the on political, the media is great. It's great. Uh, the it. political scene, the New Yorker. Wait, um, the political scene. Yeah, that's the New Yorker podcast. Oh, that's the New Yorker. Um, okay. It's very short. They're all like 13 minutes, which I really like short, less than 20-minute podcasts. The okay. uh, Slate Political Gab Fest. Um, I, I've been listening to that, on your, I think, on your recommendation. It's pretty it's, fantastic. You have to be a, a liberal to appreciate it. It's, it's, it's really it, fun. It's a liberal podcast. Yeah. Um, but if, if, you know, if you are leaning in that direction, um, I think they're really smart. John Dickerson is one of the uh, smartest, uh, most astute political commentators uh, around, and, and he's on that. Um, and I think – what's the – where's my – What's my, this New Yorker one? I'm trying to subscribe the to political it. scene. The political scene. Okay. I don't know where I put, I'm going to put all these uh, notes in the uh, in the show notes. Oh, Patrick's gone. What should we talk about, you guys? Subscribing to the political scene. Ooh, Let's a weekly see. discussion show. I love a weekly discussion. Uh, Maybe that that might be. Oh, well, the Slate's cultural gab fest is also really fantastic. They don't. Really, they sort of talk about politics, but not really. Uh, I guess that's it. Can I can I can I say one more cool uh, podcast technology mm-hmm. that I like? Do you know about Huff Duffer? I don't. And so I'm almost reluctant to like talk about Huff Duffer because I'm worried that people I don't will find I, out about. I don't, it. Yeah, I'm worried that people will like find out about this thing and it'll get too expensive for the guy who's running it. But Huff Duffer is this incredible service. So it's kind of like Instapaper for podcasts. So you make an account and it gives you a little bookmarklet that you put in your browser. And whenever someone's on Twitter and they're like, "Oh, uh, I was interviewed on this podcast," or "This was a great story on this podcast." You, click, you go to the page with the podcast, and you click a little button that says Huff Duff It, and then it goes into your Huff Duffer feed, and Huff Duffer just like pulls the audio, builds an RSS feed out of the audio, and then you subscribe to that in Overcast, and then you have... So it's just one-off podcast as opposed to like having to subscribe to a podcast. Exactly. It's for hmm. one-off audio files that you want to listen to. It also works with like, there's ways to get it to work with YouTube, so if you want to listen, so I love listening to talks on YouTube, right? And but I don't care about seeing the, the slides the, the, and the whatever. Slides. Yeah, yeah, I just want to hear it, so I will... Huff Duff it, and then I can, and then it all shows up in Overcast on my Huff Duff. Wow, that's feed. really smart. It's really cool. So um, I have, you know, the, I will say like the most common use I have is like when someone I follow on Twitter gets interviewed, but I and it's like 
you know, they're interviewed on the like the creative inspiration podcast right. or like the life hacker podcast or whatever. And you don't want to subscribe to it. You just yeah, want I'm not going to subscribe bit. to that. But I want to. I do want to hear what my friends, right. know, how my friends' interview went. Perfect scenario. I have stuff hmm. it. It goes on my phone. It's all you know in in my time. I, I like keeping my timeline, so I listen to stuff in chronological order right. too, so it goes in the right place. Uh, and I'll put the link to uh, Huffduffer as well in the show notes. And now we're going to talk about Lost. Uh, is that what this is about? I guess so. Okay. Um, so follow, uh, follow up. up. Yeah. So uh, do we have we have follow up from? Uh, Wait. Do the do Steve's one. Last. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. All Save right, it for fine. last. Okay. Okay. So uh, from uh, Damo Bolsky, uh, we have longtime listener, first time caller. Hey, Damo. Uh, about three months uh, ago, I was discussing TV shows with a good friend of mine, and he mentioned Lost was his favorite TV show of all time. I scoffed at that as I had heard, only heard bad things. However, he challenged me to watch it and make up my own mind. So I bought the box set and spent the next two months hooked on the mysteries of the island, and I loved it. Even though I have no basis for comparison, I think the show works better as a binge-watching delight as the frustration of having to wait till the next week is completely eliminated. I can only imagine the frustration of having to wait to see what was in... The Hatch. Okay, we've already said The Hatch. Uh, I always get nervous about that. Anyway, the point of this email is is that my thirst for lost information is being satisfied by your podcast. However, it is not completely quenched. Have you or your, have yourself or Max read any good books about Lost? A quick Google search shows plenty of books about the filming theories and even philosophies around the show. However, I don't know where to start. Uh, I have not read any of those like sort of specific Lost books or anything like that, but if I would recommend anything... Uh, it might be available online as opposed to you having to even buying the book. But Alan Seppenwall, who is a, a TV critic, he writes uh, every day for a website called HitFix. I, you can subscribe to like his just what he does for HitFix, although HitFix has a lot of great writers, including Drew McWeeny um, and, and stuff like that. But anyway, so he's an, an excellent TV uh, critic, uh, and he did a, a book about television in which he essentially wrote about the origin stories and the creative process of a, a sort of – what we now consider the beginning of the golden age of television, which is kind of what people are calling what we're in now, like TVs versus movies. And he has this amazing chapter on Lost about the how it was created, some of the creative stumbling blocks they had. And it's just, if you're going to read anything about Lost, I would recommend the Alan Seppenwall chapter on Lost in his in his book, which I can't... It's called, it's called The Revolution Was Televised. Yeah. And that was, I read that and that was, uh, I think that was a big... Um, <clears throat> Uh, I think we had already been talking about doing the Lost podcast, but that was for me. That was one of the things that it was like, all right, we got to do this. Like, yep. this is such a good story. And then, otherwise, I would just point you back to a couple of podcasts ago in which we talked about the tenth anniversary of mm-hmm. Lost before we took a six month <laughs> hiatus uh, after the tenth <laughs> anniversary of Lost premiere. There, were, uh, I would just Google uh, either look up that episode in which we probably linked to a bunch of those essays, but there was a lot of really good stuff around the tenth anniversary that would probably uh, satiate your yeah. Your and the curiosity. show notes for that episode, we we had the links to the three things that we talked about. Uh, I'll also throw in um, another. Uh, uh, couldn't recommend Seppenwall's book more. Uh, great, great read, and not just the Lost chapter. Like I actually, it's all you know, there's Breaking Bad, Sopranos, yeah. the the Wire. Uh, like all of the Fri- seminal Friday Night Lights, Friday Night Lights, like, the Vampire Slayer, yeah, tons. Basically, basically from like the the early aughts to you know yeah. about a couple of years ago, uh, just analyzing the arc of television quality, and it's it's just fascinating insight into it's the creative. Great. It's process. almost like a, an oral history of those great mm-hmm. shows, and I would also go so far as to say, uh, if there's anything in that <clears throat> that Alan Seppenwall's The Revolution Was Televised book, if there's any uh, TV shows that you have not seen. It will spoil all of them. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but it will definitely spoil them. But just go watch the shows. Like the, he re- if, like, they're, if they're in that book, yep. they are shows you should have seen. I, the only chapter I haven't read is uh, The Wire, and now I'm very... Well, I, I was going to skip The Wire HD because... Uh, the creator, David Simon, had originally – it sounded like he wasn't on board. Now he is on board with it right, no mostly. More, we can't even do wire talk right now. I know. 
I'm just I'm just saying we are, that what are we in? We're already like a half hour yeah. into this. Okay, podcast. we're start, let's But I'm putting a note in spoiler chat that we need to talk about the wire. Okay. I have an I have I have an idea to uh to pitch to you. Okay. And All right. Then, so, uh, uh let's go to our second story. You want to read this one? Yeah. And then wait, I had another book. I had okay. another book. Uh, this was a book that I think was recommended from a listener follow-up to us at some point in the podcast called Desperate Networks by Bill Carter. And I read it, and it's a really, really good book, and it's about the internal politics of ABC and the other big networks hmm. uh, that sort of were the backdrop. It was sort of the political scene uh, that led to the, the the world that we have now, and it's really cool history to see uh, what the world was like before Lost. Cool. Essentially, but right. great, great book. If you're interested in the the behind the scenes stuff, that's probably one of the best things I've read about TV. All right, can you Steve's follow up? Yes, you can. All right, so this is from our good, our dear, dear, dear friend Steve Kim, who did the uh, artwork for Real Watch mm-hmm. podcast and has done uh, much great giant bomb artwork. He's a handsome man. Can we he say is. that? He's he's bulk too. He's, like a, he's built. He's a handsome. He could built crush man. me. It's true. He could he could destroy both of us. Uh, very handsome. Uh, so Steve wrote in to say, just caught the convo in Farts and Minds uh, about bank robberies and figured that maybe I would share a quick story about bank robberies. My mom was involved in a bank robbery of sorts last year. She was followed home from the bank and then robbed at gunpoint as she was exiting her car at home by two guys. Talking to friends who work with the guys assigned to her case, apparently this is a pretty organized thing. Guys wait outside a bank and they watch for people exiting, holding anything that may look like a cash cash withdrawal, usually from an adjacent parking lot across the street. They then follow the victim away from the bank itself and rob them. That's terrifying. The most common targets are Asian women and smaller banks. I think it's safe to say, do you think it's safe to say that Steve... That Steve's mother is an Asian woman? I would, I would say it's safe to say. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> I would say it's safe to say, though. Okay. I think that's why he mentioned that. Uh, just thought I'd throw this out there as another form of bank robbery that is somewhat common in the L.A. South Bay area. Unfortunately, this doesn't target the bank themselves, but individuals. Way, way back, I remember my grandfather was also a victim of a bank robbery, except that time he was in the bank while the bank itself was being robbed. Unfortunately, he had just made a withdrawal, so they took that, too. Steve, P.S., fuck bank robbers. Wow, that's really terrifying. Yeah, it is. Now I feel like every time I leave, I leave a bank, I need to like blow a red light or something so I'm not being followed. Ugh. That's unsettling. If you have more bank robber stories, though, please tell us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that this is becoming a bank robbery uh, enthusiast podcast. All right, let's talk about uh, this episode of Lost, which is called, hang on, scrolling up, Outlaws. Speaking of bank robberies. Speaking of bank robberies. Wait, is there a, there's not a bank no, robbery in this No, but I mean episode. we were talking about bank robberies. Outlaws would probably commit bank robberies. That's true. Uh, this was a great episode. I don't even know where to start. This was a, because everything about it's good. So I feel like yeah. we should just uh, well, we'll my, let, we'll my let expe- the conversation guide us. All right, my expectations for this episode were rock bottom because yep. I, I remember. Here's what I remembered: I remembered the stupid chasing the boar thing, which was dumb. Whatever. I, this episode, but pro- does not take away, does no, not hurt the episode at all. Not at all. It was purely a catalyst to get Kate and Sawyer, you know, doing something. I wish it was less dumb than the boar terrorizing Sawyer, but I also get that it was another one of these sort of ham-fisted uh, big network like metaphors for Sawyer of like, oh, you can't let this thing go, and yep. it's just the nature of the boar. I, I got it. Uh, great on island story. Uh, well, let's talk about the on island stuff. Yeah, first. there's a couple like really good threads in in the island. There's the stuff with Charlie. Let's do the Charlie thing. First. So that's just, that's the easiest one. Yeah. That's really simple. But uh, basically, like Charlie's kind of being a dick um, and sort of ignoring people on the island. And I, so many shows don't do this that I thought it was really fascinating. The show decided to dip into this territory, which was basically that 
Uh, Hurley starts to theorize that Charlie is having trouble sort of com- like dealing with the idea that he just like, – because he does just sort of kill Ethan out of nowhere – and it's sort of this kind of badass moment, and maybe you can understand why why Charlie would have done it. But you could imagine most shows would just go, they would just move on from that. Like, yeah, he, Charlie feels like he was justified, like he killed the guy, and we're just going to move the plot forward. But instead, they spend a little bit of time dealing with Charlie, maybe having some sort of uh, some emotional issues. Kind it's, of it's the same way that. I love in, in season one of Lost how when someone gets injured. They're still injured. They're still recovering from their injury. The it's a big deal. Week. The show just doesn't yeah. kind of hand wave it away. Like yep. it, 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 there's continuity both in the physical nature of it and in this respect, the emotional nature of it. I will say, as an aside, I feel like this episode may have some of the worst green screening, the worst one of the worst green screen moments in the show. I don't know if you remember it, but it's when they're digging out the ditch to put Ethan in, and they cut away to one shot. Like, do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I did not. God, I didn't go catch if you this. go watch and okay. ca- watch that scene again, like. There is like these. There's a specific set of shots that are clearly them in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and then there's another shot where it is clearly them in front of a green screen, and it is just so oh, it's so bad. I mean, but you always notice that stuff. You I for good, some reason, for some reason, I pick I pick up on that. And but Lost traditionally does really good green screening. Uh, but I, it's one of those things that I wish I didn't notice as mm-hmm. much. But I notice it all the time. I have uh, I have a couple notes. I'll put it. We will. Uh, I think we're we're definitely doing a spoiler chat uh, this week, and I have a couple things in spoiler chat about this uh, whispers. The uh, well, the whispers we got to talk about, but uh, I have a couple of things about that 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 PTSD thing. Um, yeah, it's sort of interesting how that develops in later seasons. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that you know at least at least you know they don't spend a lot of time on it, but a sort of a a reason for Charlie and Saeed to talk to one another and have well, kind of a, such a great scene too, where Hurley goes to Saeed and he's clearly kind of freaked <laughs> out by Saeed and he goes, "Hey, dude, what's that thing where people have you know Gulf War syndrome?" <laughs> Saeed goes, it's like That's the, the other guys. <laughs> This is really it's like really funny, like because because you know, it's like shell shock. <laughs> there's a way for that to sound like painfully ignorant, and obviously like Hurley is painfully ignorant, but he's so charming and well-meaning that Saeed just rolls with it, and it's so and clearly Saeed is like just so used to people like feeding that bullshit to him that he just sort of rolls his eyes, and he has a really nice moment with Charlie afterwards, where they, uh, you know, then he, you know, Charlie finally kind of reconnects with Claire and goes on that walk. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I liked that. Like it was, it was a bunch of really small character moments that they don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, but I think a really, it's really e- efficient and effective storytelling for the characters. That kind of finishes off the beat of of Ethan. Just such a, it's such a great storytelling technique that season one gets right in every episode, which is. You know, you see someone in the ensemble has their big episode the week before, and you're, you cannot wait to watch the next week to see what happens with them. And then the next week, it does usually address the, the aftermath mm-hmm. for that character. But it's like a small C, B or C story, but it's still you get a little resolution. You get a little yep. bit of like, like, all right, we get a good moment with Charlie. We see how he's dealing with this. We're not going to forget it, right? The, it's not those just... things happened last week. That's yes. like a real, a real event. Yeah, I just love that. And, uh, such good storytelling. Yeah, Such so, good so there's that, and then uh, the other on island stuff is yeah. So Sawyer starts getting attacked by this boar shows up in the middle of the night, takes off with his tent for like this really hysterical scene as Sawyer goes cha- like because <laughs> for someone to be just chasing something running in the middle of the night, obviously it was probably terrifying for everyone in this camp after everything that's happened. He's like with holding Ethan. a big piece of bamboo and he's got a shirt off. Just, and he just he's goes just, like running across the like beach. it's slightly com- it's like. Portrayed slightly comedically, but at the same time, like that would be terrifying if you yeah. just saw someone running off, especially when there's some invisible creature uh, with like a T Rex size uh, running around in the forest that no one seems to be talking about <laughs> lately. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, that sort of sets up this like weird, kind of goofy um, reason for Sawyer to kind of go off into 
to the forest and goes chasing after this boar to get his stuff back. Uh, but Kate decides to go with him, and basically it's an excuse for Kate and Sawyer to spend some time together that ends up being some really terrific moments, specifically the, the stuff that happens at night. Yeah, that, play, that, I never. that never have I ever seen. Man, what a good season. What a good uh, 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 scene in Lost. And it's such a clever way to convey – it's an info dump about mm-hmm. these characters and their backgrounds, what they have and they haven't done. And st- stories have to do this. You know, Eventually they get into a wall and they're like, we've got to get this information about these characters. And there aren't great ways to like do an exposition dump. This is an exposition dump done in the most elegant, natural sort of way. Is it, it is. I guess it's a little bit of an exposition dump, but it's just this great – it made it, – it, I realize – you know, every time I see that scene, I always forget that it's like Kate and Sawyer are such outsiders. Uh, I mean Sawyer is literally an outsider. Kate not so much literally, but they're just like they've, – they've, they've had such different life experiences than the people – than the rest of the, the survivors. Mm-hmm. They're so – you know, they're just so – different than them coming in. They feel really apart and they're really the two people who can relate to each other. And Sawyer's such a dick. He needs that game. Like, and the other thing I always think about that scene is like, that is the power of a game is that Sawyer, who's like the least sincere character, like he's the least capable of like taking himself seriously, having a real conversation, being real with someone in the context of that game uh, of the, like never have I ever game. He's able to be a real human being. And that's like a great, that's such a good powerful character moment for Sawyer where there's ones where like he clearly wants to lie like it would be, he could really save some face if he lies and yeah. he doesn't he he tells the truth like you really get the feeling but he that only that does that in is... the context of the game right right like if you were just to ask him about it I don't think you would get the straight no, he'd, answer he'd fuck with you for sure but yeah. uh, I mean and it's also it speaks to you know in, in character the power of manipulation you know he, he built a career that was built on past trauma about manipulating others uh, for one's own gain. And obviously he feels empty as a result of that, but he's obviously very good at it as well. And there's just that brilliant moment where, you know, I've never killed a man gets her to admit that she had, and then he drinks too. And it's just like, fuck, like what a great moment. Like even just the way they, they're sipping the bottles, like there's just so many tells about their characters and how they feel about like, What's great about that moment is it communicates a lot by saying very little. Yeah. Right? Like a lot of just their answers and the the way the actors are portraying the scene says so much about what could have been said but is then left unsaid but is interpreted by the viewer. A, a really well acted scene yes. too. Like that is – that like Lost has mixed acting occasionally but – but man, that is I buy that scene one billion percent. Yep. It is so well acted and it's so so small. It's such a small moment between those characters, but it's a, yeah, you really get so much out of out of watching it. And it's it also you know, especially in the context of uh the actress who plays Kate, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but this was her first acting gig. Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. She you know, she was on G four Canada. Really? Prior to Lost and then got cast in Lost and uh and it's, who's uh, who's the guy who plays Sawyer? I can't remember him. Well, anyway, a guy who hasn't done anything since Lost. <laughs> yeah, he really hasn't. Uh, anyway, I know I've seen him like guest star. On he's stuff no, before. I mean he's he's yeah. been around. Ever, most people on Lost went to Hawaii Five O. It was like the, uh, but they went to Hawaii Five O because um, it's still filmed in Hawaii, and a lot of people that were on Lost wanted to stay in Hawaii because they made lives there over the seasons of Lost, and then Hawaii Five O was was nearby and also on. No, it was on CBS, not ABC. But uh, well, while you are looking up who played Sawyer, uh, I will. Uh, I, I wanted to share Josh one. Holloway. Josh Holloway, thank you. Uh, 
I wanted to share one other mo- uh, moment from this episode, which I, I completely forgot about. Uh, and, and it's got to be one of my all-time top favorite lost moments, which is so the next morning, so they get drunk and they wake up the next morning and you see that the boars come back and it like peed on Sawyer's shirt and it like raided his bag uh, and not Kate's stuff, just Sawyer's stuff. And Sawyer's like, he's clearly like emotional and like agitated about it. And, he pull, and they hear something moving in the woods and Sawyer pulls out his gun and aims the gun into the woods and it sets up this really intense moment. And uh, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and play that. Uh-oh, Netflix is... Uh, I can't believe this. There are hoof marks everywhere. It ain't all our stuff. Nope. It ain't your stuff. <laughs> Mine's fine. Oh, that hog is gonna suffer. <laughs> I swear to God. So here's the that rustling in the woods. Sora pulls out the gun. And there's Locke eating like an apple. <laughs> Morning. Yeah. <laughs> Morning. So good. What happened to your campsite? <laughs> How good is that? I'm gonna do the banyan trees. You guys want to come uh, with me? It's it's the it's the best lock moment. Like Sawyer's so, just, just holding. He's trembling, holding this gun out at him, and he just takes that long beat. What happened to your campsite? Oh, I love it. It's it's a really there were like a lot of really funny moments in an otherwise like extremely serious and then, episode and then a, another and then an inc- another incredible moment where Locke sits down and makes coffee for them and they're just like they're uh, Kate and Sawyer are just like stunned that Locke like came out of the found them in the jungle and he's just like calm, as, make coffee. calm as hell making coffee he like found the coffee in the woods and he's making this coffee for them and he tells them that incredible story about the dog and mm-hmm. uh, his sister who died on the playground like. That's that was another uh, nice thing about this episode. A lot of little like stories where it's just you know kind of close ups of actors like telling a, a great little story. There was the lock one, and there was uh, was it a Charlie or a Saeed one? I can't remember. There's someone told a great story at the end of the episode too. Mm. Now I can't remember who it was. I think it was Saeed or something. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a great little moment, and it's just you know lock pops in, has his you know really impactful story and yep. then he's gone he's off yeah he's uh uh looking for well he says he's looking for scrap metal plane crash stuff uh, he's, he's, he's looking for hatch, hatch business stuff. yeah hatch business uh and then um the off island story also fantastic this week uh mostly deals with uh Sawyer's encounter with uh what at this fa- at this point the fans of the show began calling the original Sawyer mm-hmm. um, OG 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 Sawyer um so Sawyer, uh, uh, how does he? He gets a tip, or like the guy. So Robert calls Patrick, him? aka the T one thousand, aka shitty David Duchovny in later seasons of X Files. <laughs> um, <laughs> still bitter about that. He wasn't that bad. It wasn't his fault. Um, yeah, he shows up. It was uh, he clearly worked previous jobs with Sawyer, um, and uh, but says, "All oh, right, Sawyer like pins him against the wall." Well, he, yeah. he basically, it sounds like he fucked over Sawyer on some some con job, mm-hmm. and he, I forget what they had the Tennessee incident. I don't know something like that. And, but basically, Robert Patrick's character says uh, that you know I I can make good on this. Mm-hmm. I, I found I found the man who. Well, okay, hold on, we got to back this train up because mm-hmm. the episode opens mm-hmm. with young uh, Sawyer underneath the bed. Mm-hmm. His mother being shot, and then that really powerful moment where you think it's uh, 
the actual Sawyer character that he appropriated his name from coming in to maybe find him under the bed. And instead, it's his father sitting down on the bed and then shooting himself. I was like, that's fucking dark. Like, I'm surprised they showed that. Yeah. Like, it'd be, I thought it'd be one thing that they just kind of left implied about his backstory that you just kind of imagined it in your head. And I, the way they portray that, it's like, it's one of those scenes that if this show was on HBO or Showtime, they would have shown the person blowing their brains out mm-hmm. because they could. Mm-hmm. And it would have been more violent, mm-hmm. but I thought the way they have to show it on network TV was much more impactful. I, I, I totally agree. It was that, it's, it's that very... Uh, Not seeing it made what I imagined in my head a thousand times worse than what any makeup yeah, and or you, CG You're, you're looking shown. at the kid's face, and it was good. Not a terrible child actor. He didn't have to say anything. Yeah, yeah, he did. A, he did a, a thoroughly okay job. And you're looking at this kid's face, and you're terrified for him, and you're imagining, you know, how he's feeling. And yeah, I agree. Every yeah, I've probably seen this episode ten times. Super upsetting scene. Every yes, single yeah. time. And you know, you also put, you know, if you've seen the previous episodes, you also put together pretty quickly what's going on that it's Sawyer. You, you, you pick it out about halfway through. You're like, yeah. oh shit, this is the this note. Is that yeah. Um, and so, so anyway, so that's obviously sets up, you know, and, and comes to define Sawyer um, in his entirety, his personality, his career, his, everything he, he chooses is defined by this moment. Uh, and also, you know, the episode is kind of largely about his inability to get over this one piece of trauma in his past. Mm-hmm. And so our Patrick says he's found this guy um, and that there's a person that's been tracked down that uh, used to run this con game and... Uh, had an encounter with a uh, a woman who you know was murdered by her husband in front of a child, uh, and so Sawyer gets a gun, heads to Australia, uh, heads to Australia, and then gets the gun. Heads to Australia and then gets the gun, um, and then yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens in in, in the lead up to him. Well, uh, he goes, he goes, he goes to the shrimp shack. He orders the angriest shrimp in the world. So I've been to that location. Nah, is there a shrimp cart there? So well, there's a bunch of food trucks there. Okay. Um, so when uh, Katie and I, when we went on our honeymoon, mm-hmm. uh, partially we went to Hawaii because it's cliche, but we'd never been, so we decided to do it. Uh, and then also because lost had only ended, you know, maybe a year or two before that, there was still stuff around. Like, eventually that stuff's all going to be gone, and it's not going to... Some of it's historically will stay there, but eventually it'll just kind of get disappeared. So we wanted to go, and basically we spent half our trip just going to lost shooting locations. You said uh, Jurassic Park stuff too, right? A little bit of Jurassic Park stuff. Oh, that's um, so cool. Like the waterfall from Jurassic Park it was, was filmed in Maui. Um, and uh, so, uh, so we were going to shooting locations, and one of them, you can go up this road, and you can... I'll pull off to the side of the road and there's all these food trucks and so the actual shrimp truck is now like in the back in a garbage heap so you can mm-hmm. you can kind of see it it's behind a fence okay wait a minute so it's in it's in hawaii it's not in australia it's in hawaii yeah um got it and okay. so yeah so we ate there we didn't eat at the shrimp truck because it just doesn't exist anymore um but that little like pen like seating area that you can kind of see in a couple of shots like that's where we ate our food and yeah, so it was. It, we, that's what we spent half our time in Hawaii doing. Did you order really the awesome. food? Did you walk up and just glare at the guy? I should have. If I if they had the shrimp truck there, I'll, I'll I would have. The shrimp just tears <laughs> welling up in your eyes, hot, holding a Nerf gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, he goes there to basically go face to face with, you know, the man he believes killed, you know, his mother and responsible for his father killing himself, and uh, yeah, like the man that he holds accountable for all the the, the bad stuff in his life, and. He leaves without taking the shrimp. Yeah. Like a monster. Yeah. The shrimp looked good. It did look pretty good. You see him getting cooked up in the, mm-hmm. in the wok? Good looking shrimp. So he leaves. Do you uh, like the whole shrimp? Or you have to peel the you have to peel it apart? Yeah, I don't like cold shrimp though. 
Um, no, like they I'm, were he, they. No, I know. I'm just saying, fine. like, okay. you know, oh, we're talking just, shrimp. Just I, I don't like cold shrimp. Can't do okay. it. But you'll eat cocktail a whole, sauce. You'll don't eat a like whole prawn. It. Yeah, sure. I love a whole prawn. Yeah, go whole prawn. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. then he leaves, and we have. Uh, God, oh yeah, that's right. Because we have this little man. There's so many little things that happen, right? So he goes back to the bar. Wait a minute. Is a shrimp a prawn? It's. I think it's just a uh, cultural difference. I think are they the same thing? I don't know. Is a shrimp a prawn? Listen, write in if you know anything. I'm not going to look it up. We're not going to look it up. No, I know, I know. We got stuff to talk about. But listen, if you're if you're a listener of the Rewatch Podcast and you have shrimp knowledge, write us at rewatchpodcast at gmail dot com mm-hmm. and tell us what is a shrimp a prawn, or is, is that just is that it's just that cultural vernacular? Usually, I feel like if I order a prawn, it's bigger. Well, you've got to take it apart. Maybe it's just a prepared thing. Yeah, it's like the shrimp is just the shrimp. The it's meat. like beef versus cow, right? It's like Maybe. once we process it enough, you just call it something else. You don't feel bad about eating the animal. Like, this thing oh, wasn't it's, alive. It's poultry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Poultry would grow in the ground. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. It's pork. It's not a pig. Mm. It's pork. Uh, so yeah. So he then he heads to a bar, uh, begins uh, drinking. I think he's you know he's trying to. What's, what's amazing about this is that, like, you know, Sawyer is constantly portrayed as sort of this badass guy that you could, you know, the way he carries himself is a man you would imagine has no problem pulling the trigger and killing someone. But obviously we've seen earlier in the season than when he tried to kill uh, the, uh, the, the marshal that he missed. So, A, he doesn't know how to kill people properly, and B, he was uh, freaked out about it when he failed to kill the marshal properly. But this is a moment where he is trying to essentially get uh, liquid courage uh, to go and kill the man that is responsible for all this shit that happened to him. Or at least, you know, that's how he views it. What a mind... A Christian Shepherd tent happens to be there. <laughs> yeah, what a mind-blowing scene the first time I watched Lost. I mean, this was one of those times I remember... You know, I was like... I was. I, I, I watched... I think I was watching at this point. I was still... I, ha- I wasn't watching it on TV. I was still... You know, I had, like, torrented it. And I was... I think it was still before the season one finale. Because I remember watching that on TV. But... I, w- I had been like shotgunning through the episodes, like catching up because I had heard how good Lost mm-hmm. was. And I remember this was one of those times when I saw season one when I just like sat up in my chair and I was like, I was like, no fucking way, yep. come on, yep. Because uh, at this point, I mean, Christian Shepherd is um, made out to be such a mysterious and important figure in the Lost mythology. You know, you, he leads uh, Jack to the. Waterfall, right during White Rabbit. Yeah, during White Rabbit, you know his body went missing. Um, there's, there just seems to be something about him. That, yeah, that and go, the whole that cir- goes the whole circumstances of his death, I think, and his story are still maybe somewhat mysterious. I think they seem like there might be more than we know. Well, and and it's this opportunity for, you know, you can argue that it's a little heavy on coincidences, but you know, I mean, you could argue the show goes to some extent of explaining how that stuff could happen later. But this is, listen, this is a pre-crash world. It was still a great storytelling. It was still really well, it was, it was a novel wh- storytelling to be like, oh, these people's lives are, are all interconnected. Yeah, and, and it, was just, it, was a, it was a way for them to tell something about Christian and Jack's relationship that there would have been almost no way to tell otherwise. Like, it had to happen while Christian is at one of his lowest moments. Um, and But it's just, you know, that... A, that, that actor is just... I really love Christian Shepard, the, the actor who plays him. Like, mm-hmm. He's just really fantastic. And so, that, so confident, so creepy. And, yes. And, that, that you know, that moment he has where he, you know, explains, I could get on the phone, repair everything with my son, but I'm too much of a coward to do it. Like, it's just a really... Like, because, like, he says everything that you want to... You say as a, a viewer, is like, if you just talk to your son... 
None of this would be a problem. And then he actually admits that he could do that, but he's too much of a coward. Oh, it's just such a goddamn, like just such a great moment. Uh, and then, as you know, you know, there's a, a bit later where uh, – so Christian Shepard makes an allude. He has sort of like a turn of phrase about the, the Red Sox never winning the series. Right. And then Sawyer and Jack have a moment where Sawyer returns the gun and uh, Jack mentions something about the Red Sox never winning the World Series. And Sawyer realizes that he encountered Jack's father. You know, but- so so I didn't – it's interesting. I didn't put this together when I first saw the episode. Uh there's that great scene where Sawyer picks up the gun where the guy says, you know, you can't return this. It's like mm-hmm. once you – if you do it and you look in the guy's eyes and you can't pull the trigger, there's no returns on this gun. And, uh, you know, obviously in the in the backstory uh, – I mean we're, we're about to get here, but Sawyer does go and kill uh, original – well, who he thinks is original Sawyer. We've got to come back to that in a second. Yep. But then on island, he looks in that boar's eyes and he doesn't kill the boar and he does return the gun to Jack. Yeah. What does that mean? I think that's just you know that the, so that's character growth maybe yeah I think that's yeah that's the end of the I that's kind not, of the arc of I the episode I did not uh, put that together look at me I figured it out the theme <laughs> of the episode Patrick yeah I mean I think that's the whole point of all of that was just to get him to you know the boar thing was sort of forced but at the end it provides did you put and, that together that the guy's yeah. like you can't return the gun and yeah. then he returns the gun to yeah. Jack you did I did you got to tell maybe me not these the fir- maybe not the first time but certainly this you like, got you got to tell me these things when I'm you sorry. figure them out yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that happens. I and he feel has, super clever. Uh, and but it, it leaves this nice hanging thread that you know at some point Sawyer's going to have to tell, or will tell Jacks, you know, that he met his father and his father, you know, because this would lift this enormous emotional well, burden two, off of Jack. Two frustrating Sawyer moments <clears throat> in this episode, where one he could tell Jack about his father, but doesn't, and as the viewer, you're like, ah, I just want to see that yep. confrontation. Um, and then two, where Sawyer, um, you know, he it, right in the beginning of the episode, he hears the whispers in the jungle, and he has a conversation with Saeed about it. And Saeed says, "What did you hear?" And y- you get this moment of like, you 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 want them to talk about. They're it. finally talking about a yeah. weird thing that happened. Yeah, is happening like, on the please island. Please do say what the whispers mean. How does that? What's going on with that? And he like looks at uh, Saeed, and he goes. What is he? He's like, it doesn't matter. And he like walks Whatever. off. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm emotional. But, but yeah. it, it at least uh, essentially for Saeed as a character and you as the viewer solidifies the two characters are acknowledging there is something, you know, because you know, and, and Lost gets bad about this later about not having characters talk about weird things that are happening to them that are mm. very clearly weird and the normal people would talk about them. But at least this provides validation for two characters and for the audience that they are acknowledging something strange is going on and uh, and, and actually, it's fairly big for Sawyer to admit that he heard it, right? Like, you, you could easily see that them they were kind of setting up that Sawyer would just dismiss it out of mm-hmm. hand. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if, if Sawyer is believing it or has heard it, that maybe there is something to it. Yeah, I want to... We got to it, it have, have a little more whisper talk. We'll talk the, whisper uh, and spoilers. In the spoiler chat. I got questions. I got answers. Okay. Because <laughs> Katie asked the same thing that I, I know you're going to ask. Uh, so yeah, so okay, yeah, I guess to to kind of uh, to wrap up the discussion of the episode, we get this you know powerful moment where uh, Sawyer goes in the middle of the night. It's raining as the the man is is packing up his uh, his shrimp shack. Shrimp? What's a? Uh, I forget what the name of the the taco to the truck I'll, is. I'll look it up. You tell the story. Um, and as the man exits, Sawyer pulls up the gun and he actually shoots him. 
Um, he actually, it, it was it seemed like he wanted to shoot the man when he did the first visit. You know, he kind of, he clenched the gun, he checked the bullets, and then couldn't uh, muster the courage, which is why he went to the bar to get it, drunk. It's called, it just says sweet shrimp on the sweet top. Sweet shrimp. But the, I'm looking at a picture of the real, so this is apparently a real food truck. And right. It's called Fumi's Kahuku Shrimp. Yeah, I think it was out of operation when, when we went, and I think it's been out of operation for a while. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, he the, the guy comes out, and he shoots him, um, and then obviously Sawyer is emotional and distraught, and th- they have a brief exchange in which, I guess it's what? It's implied that he's not that guy that well, you, Robert he Patrick— Well, he pulls out his letter, and, and you know, you're, you've seen uh, Sawyer suffer a lot in this episode, and you're like— Damn, he's finally going to get his moment. He's going to get to read the letter to the killer and get his, you know, catharsis. his catharsis. It's so clearly set up that he, that this is what this character needs is to read the letter to the killer, you know, and he's going to get his moment. And he opens up the letter very dramatically in the rain. And also, I get really stressed out whenever that happens because I'm like, man, it's raining on your letter. Keep your letter. You've had this thing for 20 <laughs> years. Like, well, yeah. he thinks this is it. He thinks I he's going to throw right. the letter away. I guess you're right. And uh, he looks. He looks at the guy and he goes, "Dear Mister Sawyer," and the guy's like, "Who's?" So who's Sawyer? <laughs> and you yeah. literally see Sawyer, who also in this episode we learn his first name is James. Yes. Um, whether that's an, an, an adopted name or his actual true first name. Uh, so I guess maybe we'll call him James for the purposes of this conversation. But you see James's heart like literally break as yeah. he realizes that the man who fucked him over in a previous con has just fucked him over now. Well, the guy says, is this, is this about the money I owe You know, uh, the T-1000? Essentially, the T-1000 set Sawyer up to right. kill this man, knowing that he can emotionally manipulate him and take out this guy, uh, no harm, no foul for him. And Sawyer then kills his first, you know, it isn't, basically it seems like he's the first person he's ever killed. Mm-hmm. He's done it by accident. It was not some, maybe he deserved it, maybe he didn't. We don't know enough about his backstory, but, you know, it does sound like maybe he just owed someone money mm-hmm. um, and that he was not actually a bad person. Mm-hmm. But maybe that explains why he was hiding out in Australia. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Sawyer not only doesn't get his catharsis, he kills by all accounts an innocent man. And if anything, this forces him to double down on all this trauma and all this, uh, baggage, uh, because he tried to resolve it and instead fucked everything up. Yeah. Dark, dark, dark moment. Well, you see him just, you kind of, you know, in a little way you see him revert back. Like it's, it becomes like child Sawyer, like in that moment Mm -hmm. as he realizes he screwed it up. Um, it's just really heartbreaking. I yeah. Mean. And it's also interesting, like it, it, you know, I know this is a guy with a lot of past trauma, but having him, you know, kill this guy, wrongly kill this guy in Australia and then immediately get in the plane crash. Like you really do get a feeling of how fresh his emotional trauma is on the island. Yep. And maybe a little bit of why he's being such a dick on the island. Yep. Um, and, and being so childish. But you can't like, really explain this to anyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also why him and Kate getting closer, you know, it feels like part of, you know, what Locke, you know, by telling his story is, you know, in a, in a, he's telling a story to sort of carry on to Sawyer, like, you need to let go of, you know, what, what you know, has been weighing you down, but he probably needs to tell that story to someone so someone else can tell him it's okay, and it seems like they're building up to that person being Kate. All right. We got... We, this is a long episode. Yep. We got some spoiler chat. Let's do the trivia real quick and uh, close this thing out, and then we'll do, we'll do a little spoiler talk at the end. Mm-mm. So, uh, trivia, as, uh, as always, thanks to Lostpedia uh, for uh, compiling all this stuff. So, Sawyer's first name is revealed to be James when he's talking to Frank Duckett. 
at the shrimp stand. Uh, the Boston Red Sox had won the 2004 World Series by the time this episode aired, but it had not yet occurred at the time that the events of this episode take place, according to the official timeline. This episode was the first of the final nine episodes after the show was picked up for an entire season after the original 13-episode order. Hmm. Uh, Emile de Ravin, Ravin, we're never going to get that right, becomes a full series regular in this episode. Previously, she had only been credited when she appeared. Her contract was adjusted as ABC gave the show a full season pickup, ordering the nine additional episodes needed to complete the season order. The line that Tori hears in the whispers, which he heard earlier from Hibbs, was to have been... Uh, oh, so this, this is cut content uh, now, I should say. Um, so this is not something in the episode. Um, huh. Uh, the whispers were to say, I was going to pay. Huh. The line would have played repeatedly in whispers throughout the episode. Uh, during the game, uh, I never, the amount of liquid, so this is, this is a continuity error, which I noticed as I was watching it. Uh, yeah, I did during too. the game of I never, the amount of liquid in Sawyer's bottle of alcohol changes being almost halfway empty through the game to being full again towards the end, despite drinking from the same bottle all I, the way through. I just took that to feel like we were watching maybe a progression of time that was sort of irregular, that maybe the game was ongoing and they were just oh. going through multiple bottles. Like, yeah, I just assumed he opened another bottle. Yeah. And the reason it looked the same was because it was the same. Because yeah. he has a million of those tiny little yeah, bottles. I figured he just had a ton of whiskey and he was just going through the whiskey. But then, yeah. but, but you'll, when you watch the cuts, like, they, it's, it's kind of funny. I noticed it when it, when it was happening. But, mm. uh, so that's it. Uh, why don't you take us out? All right. Um, so, oh, one uh, note for the uh, uh, end of the episode. We have a new editor of the podcast, Kara uh, from uh, Cards. She's doing. I think she's doing a very good job editing the episodes. But if you guys have any feedback, uh, anything you want to hear, anything um, uh, like uh, our sounds of us uh, eating food that you want edited out, let us know. Uh, and if you think Kara's doing a good job, uh, or even if you have not noticed the change in editing over the last few episodes, uh, send us a nice note at rewatchpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, and uh, also if you have any questions or comments about Lost or uh, 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 if you know anything about shrimp, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I would love to hear also now that we talked about it for uh, three hours at the top of the podcast, I would love to know what other podcast people are listening to. Yeah. I'd be very curious. So if you have anything to recommend to Patrick or I, um, send, shoot us a, um, a note, rewatchpodcast at gmail.com or uh, at rewatchpodcast on Twitter and let us know. And uh, we'll, we'll – Post, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of the popular um, uh, other podcasts that our uh, listeners are listening to. So thank you, as always, to Steve Fobwash Kim for artwork. Thanks Steve to Bank Robber Kim. S- Steve Fuck Bank Robbers <laughs> Kim for our artwork. <laughs> Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, at dose1.bandcamp.com. The show notes for this episode and every episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. Lots of good stuff in the show notes this week. Make sure you check that out. And uh, we will see you next week with whatever the next episode of Lost is, episode in translation, our second Gin and Sun episode. That's right. Oh, look at that. I wrote that right there for myself. All right. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute uh, after the music with spoiler chat. Yeah.
Okay, so do you want to do you want to get your thing out of the way first? Let's do the feedback. Let's do the follow up. We have some uh, spoiler follow up, and then we'll get our thing. And then I have a bunch of stuff. Okay. So Justin stuff. Moss uh, writes: uh, Just listening to this podcast, glad to hear you might be open to a season two or more. Watching Lost is happy experience. Talking, debating about Lost with like minded people brings it to a whole new level. I had to laugh a bit when Patrick said he liked Expose. Hey, Expose is on par with Stranger, in my opinion. Oh, you monster! They randomly insert Nikki and Paolo into the story to justify their existence so they can kill them. I don't disagree. My biggest complaint is the acting and that you have no emotional attachment to the characters. When they find Yemi's plane before lock, reaction isn't that of someone who just crashed on a mysterious island, and then they find the pearl, a hatch before lock, echo. I agree that part was weird. Uh, even referring it to it as a hatch well before there was even a term, it's cringeworthy, though I'm sure the writers meant it as a nod to what makes the show cool, but it cheapens some of the best moments of season one. Important parts of the episode, including the sun kidnapping reveal, the spider, smoke monster in animal form, meaning Sawyer's spiteful bear, Kate's black horse. I forgot about that stuff. I forgot that maybe the explanation for the boar being so specific and Kate's black horse is actually just the, the black monster trying to learn information about these characters. So actually, even though it's kind of goofy, they do retcon an explanation. Uh, uh, do you remember that stuff? Oh, huh? The smoke monster was the spider? N- well, no, it's just that the, the, the smoke monster can manifest as physical things on the island, including, do you remember Kate's black horse that she would see? Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the fan explanations or implied explanations for, like, the boar is that the reason it's so specific against Sawyer is because the man in black is trying to manipulate these people and learn about them, and he does that by, like, dragging Sawyer out into, you know, the middle of the, the jungle by, by acting as the boar. So it's specific because... Mm. The, the man in black is is acting that out. Interesting. Um, bah, bah, bah. Oh, the early bird. <laughs> the early bird. I don't think the early bird oh is part God, of that. Oh, my God. It's a canonical explanation for the early bird. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that uh, Nicky and Paolo are uh, sort of goofy, and, uh, the, the, and I'm not defending them as characters. I just thought Expose was a pretty great episode. Maybe I'll watch it again, and I'll think it's terrible. Um, but I, I don't disagree that uh, they, were, they were really ham-fisted ways of... Trying to make extras in the show meaningful in a way that uh, Lost was usually very good about introducing new characters, but Nicky and Paolo. Is this Justin who wrote this, mm-hmm. or is this your notes? Did Justin wrote this? What, below? This whole paragraph, or is this your He wrote notes? that. Okay, interesting. Okay. Um, so, what, yeah. And what does this mean, the Miles and Ben conversation about the diamonds? I don't know. Okay, I forgot. I don't, I don't know. know. There's something with the diamonds, Some right? of the diamonds, sure. Okay. All right, here's my notes. Uh, the Wire. Okay. You have, still haven't seen it? I've seen season one and part of season two, and then no, when have. I heard they were doing the HD stuff, I thought I would just wait and rewatch it from the beginning all over again. Maybe uh, rewatch podcast season two. Yeah, maybe. Cause I like, could be into that. The Wire is a much beloved show. There's a lot to talk about. We could probably get some really interesting people to share their thoughts on The Wire, you know, as guests. And it's a show I think a lot of people are like, you know, looking for an excuse to watch, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, ah, I don't want to Well, they missed the like the Zeitgeist thing. moment when. Yeah. Uh, when it was on, because it was on in the middle of, my friends would watch the last episode of The Wire when I was coming over to watch uh, Lost with them. Like that's mm-hmm. just like in the way we kind of structured that sort of like get together night. Um, and I've had parts of The Wire spoiled for me. I know that it, you know fates of characters is largely unimportant in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things of that show, but uh, I, I do really want to watch it. I feel like. I have seen most of like these serious important shows, and that mm-hmm. just sort of remains like the number one oh, so good. show I need to. The only thing is, I don't know that it lends itself to a um, <clears throat> you know a a, a zippy uh, podcast discussion afterwards because it's like it's like it's actually like impeccably good. There's very little like to make fun of. It's like not corny, 
And, you know, there's no, like, version of, like, spoiler chat after mm-hmm. The Wire of, like, you know, the mythology of the show, really. I don't know. Maybe, maybe what we'll do is... The Wire kind of, we, like, when leaves, we fin- it all, leaves it all on the table. When we finish this, um, and we're going to reconsider, like, what happens after the first season, uh, it might be worth just watching, like, the first episode of the first season in our time and then just doing a podcast about the first season of The Wire rather than doing an episode by episode. Oh, right that's like, interesting. Like maybe you do the, pi- the pilot, the yeah, first episode. That's interesting. To talk about expectations for the show, and you've seen it multiple yeah. times. I haven't seen it, or I've seen the first season once, but largely forgotten it. Uh, and then maybe watch the whole series or the whole season and then just come back uh, and do something about that. So I don't know. We're going we're gonna to talk about that and what we're going to do with the podcast after this. We'd like to continue it. It's just a matter of... Doing every episode of Lost, I don't think, is going to be what we do, but uh, continuing it, I think, is, is something we're going to think about and how yeah, we're going for to package sure. that. So, yeah, maybe we'll think about something like that. All right. Ex- the Whispers. Explain. Please, God, explain The Whispers. So, I, okay. So, I haven't looked it up, but my – so, I remember in the last season of the show that Michael appears. Do you remember? Like, Michael's stuck on the island. Like, his soul is sort of stuck on the island. Like, the show doesn't – you're, you're you're opening a you're opening a sandwich in like the last like thirty seconds of this show. I cannot. I've been waiting to eat this delicious breakfast sandwich. It's calling to me. I'm listening. I'm lost in your explanation. Okay. You know, just go ahead. I think essentially the whisper. Oh Jesus! Stop it! No, you're not allowed. I'm. St- I'm. Ba- you can finish that bite. Mm. Put that sandwich down. Oh my God! Put, put the sandwich down. We're going to be done in like two minutes. Mm. The whispers are essentially people that are trapped on the island. The show doesn't ha- subscribe to any sort of religious iconography so it doesn't necessarily refer to it as a soul or they're essentially souls essence people that uh, are trapped on the island um and they can communicate like through the whispers um and that's essentially what the whispers are okay i buy that so and why can only some people hear it or i'm not sure i feel i feel like there is it, it's it's definitely unexplained like doesn't claire hear the whispers right before she disappears for five seasons I think so. I, I forget how that stuff that works. Sure but the, gets, she sure gets kidnapped a lot. She does. She's that becomes kind of a, a cliche plot device. Uh, but um, yeah, it's essentially people stuck on the island. I don't know if it's a like a they have to move on. I, like literally, Michael appears and explains it. Like he, it's one of the few times where the show just flat out says, "This is what this is." Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments towards the end of the show where. The, right, the, listen, like, if you know what the whispers, just if you haven't, if you haven't, if yeah, if someone wants to give a more pronounced explanation, feel free to. But essentially, it's people trapped. On okay, I, 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 buy, I guess I buy that it's just like mythology that they, you know, I don't know, they were going to do something with it and they didn't. I think, it, I think it's a totally fine explanation for what the whispers are. All right, Christian Shepherd, mm-hmm. what's his deal? He, so he did he die? He's not into any of the weird lost mythology stuff, right? He just gets possessed later on the island. He gets possessed by the man in black. Yeah. But at this point in Australia, there's nothing weird about him. He's just a guy who's drunk in Australia. Okay, yeah, um, that's what I was trying to f- figure out. He didn't. Well, no, there's one weird thing, which is he's visiting Claire, right? That's why he goes to Australia. Yes, and 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 like in the larger lost mythology that you know people are predestined and they were right. meant to be here, so like there are connections. Yeah, I just remember them. having some theory about that he was in Australia, like recruiting people to go to the island, or he would like that he knew stuff. Right, you got that feeling of like that maybe he. You know, set Jack up to go to the island because he knew something about it. He, yeah, no, I always thought like, like that. maybe he was an other, and he right, was trying sure. to like, get Jack to like follow in his footsteps. My, one of my favorite lines in the whole show, which happens in the final episode, at the end, uh, is you know when they're in Sidewaysville and Desmond is trying to re- recruit everyone to go to the church, uh, and he's handling Christian Shepherd's body uh, at the at the church, and he's got Kate. And this is at a moment. Christian Shepherd was dead, and even in the church, even he didn't get to be alive. In the no, he, he has the moment with. 
uh, Jack, oh, he does. like okay. where right. they talk like before they walk through the door, and it's like, it's like my favorite, one of my favorite moments of the show. But anyway, um, uh, so Desmond is explaining like, oh, we're picking up the body of Christian Shepherd, and Kate turns to Desmond is like, huh, Christian Shepherd, huh, kind of on the nose, huh? And I was like, I was like, I, was, I liked the show finally acknowledged that this man Christian Shepherd is leading them into a church, and it was just like it's kind of an on the nose. I mean, they didn't know that when they were making probably the show in the beginning, although actually. I think they've said that the show's ending is largely consistent with an idea they had towards the beginning. But anyway. Oh, you know the other thing that I remember why? I, I always had the feeling that something about that bar conversation was going to be like – Really important. Critical to the lost mythology because they talk about being in hell. Right? He's like, you know why they call mm. it Australia? Because it's like as close to hell as – and I was like, oh, shit. Maybe They're the, saying the, it. The purgatory theory. They're saying it. Yeah, but nah. – all right, and then uh, what else did I have here? Oh yeah, and then the only thing I, I this is a this is a dumb note to leave out on, but it's just to me it was a sign of Lost's decline that in season one they so they deal I agree they deal really well with like Charlie kills someone and then really you know is working through it and he has PTSD and he has weird emotional feelings about it, and it's also made out to be a big deal that Kate and Sawyer killed people and they clearly have a lot of guilt and emotions about it. By the last season of Lost, every single one of those characters who's you know, still around is fucking mowing guys down like an action movie, yeah. driving cars into people, you know, <laughs> blowing people up with a claymore. Their friends are getting shot with arrows. The, like, hur- the Hurley bit when he comes in the end of season three when he comes through with the bus. Love and it. Just like, I mean, it's one of my f- one of the love best it. moments in the show. Love it. But there's no at that point. Is, is that the same show where then Hurley is like? has ptsd because he has to think about what it means to take a human life no no it's, i mean it's the show actual... the show's too big at that point right, right. like i mean if you, if you think about what the show is by you know the end of season three i mean you I, have the, the dharma the, corporation i, know, you know, I, I guess just, i just miss the, the show got wrapped up in its mythology i like the big scope of it but i like the big scope of it rooted in those small moments of those little character moments of, you know, I think, they st- I think they still do that, but a lot of that ends up being relationships between the characters as opposed to the actions of the characters, like in, and the consequences of living on an Island and things like that. Yeah. I just, it's, it's for me, it's the part of what made loss so special in that first season was, but also, I don't know if they could, you know, how many times can you do a, the woe is me, I kill the guy? Well, I just, I just, I like, it's not the, it's not that particular part of it. It's just like, it's a big fucking deal to kill someone. Right, sure. Like, and I like that in season one, it's like, you know, it happens so seldomly and it's such a big deal when someone dies and they make a big deal out of it. And then you have these very real concerns of like, what do you do with the body? Or in the, in the you know, in uh, episode two or three, and Sawyer shoots the marshal, and he like doesn't quite kill him, and like those are like big, big consequences. And you know, it, the show never dwells on that. It's like later, it's like people get like punched in the back of the head and they die, or people yeah. like snap their necks, and they, it's just like very action movie. Anyway, that's my that's my only gripe. Uh, all right, is that it? That's it. We're done. Done with. I'm podcast. gonna eat this sandwich. Goodbye. All right.